Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome to podcast number 78 and today is a special one. We're going to do a Q&A with myself. I get asked similar things all the time on social media so I put it out to you guys on my Instagram stories what questions you want me to answer. So I've chosen seven today to answer on this podcast and another seven to eight to answer on another Q&A series which will be part two. Now, if you enjoy these Q&A type podcasts, be sure to leave me a review or a rating in the Apple iTunes podcast app, um, and that way I'll know for the future and I can do more for you guys. Just before we jump in, today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gutman Method Coaching Service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gutman Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in, and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let us show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. Now, let's get to our listener Q&A episode for today. Welcome back to podcast number 78. Oh my gosh, 78 guys, I cannot believe it. Today is a special one. We're going to do a Q&A with myself. I get asked really similar things all the time on social media, so I put it to you guys on my stories a couple of weeks ago to ask me some questions, and we're going to answer them here on the podcast today. I've chosen the top seven questions that I think would benefit uh, the majority of you guys, and I'll be answering them today in a Q&A series. Um, so I've actually done this before, and it resonated really, really well with you guys. So if you enjoy this, please uh, leave me a review in Apple iTunes um, in the podcast app and let me know how much you enjoy it and if you want me to do more of them. Alrighty guys, question one, how often is it okay to have sometimes foods for good health? All right, so sometimes foods I'm going to call, for you guys who have listened to my podcast for a while now, soul foods. They're what we call uh, foods that don't really provide any real nutritional value to our body, um, but they're good for our soul. They make us feel good. I'm talking things like chocolate, ice cream, glass of wine, some pizza. So to answer this question, like nutrition is not black or white. There's no one answer. It really depends on the amount of food you're having and the frequency of the food that you're having. And it also depends on your goals. If you're someone who is eating to gain weight, it's definitely okay to have them more. If you're someone who's looking to lose weight, you probably want to minimize them. If you're looking to maintain your weight, you can probably find a bit more of a healthy balance somewhere between the losing weight and gaining weight. So it really is dependent on your goals. Um, There is no black or white with nutrition. There's no one way is better because we're all different. We're all individuals. But think about Dietitians like to sort of say, uh, we like to have this 80-20% balance, you know, 80% great nourishing nutrition, 20% what I would call soul food. So, you know, is it okay to have chocolate every single night? Absolutely. Especially if you're trying to gain weight or you're looking to maintain your weight. But if your goal is fat loss, having chocolate every single night could be perfectly okay if it's in a small amount. 
But if you're doing that every night and then on a Tuesday, you're eating some biscuits from the work cookie jar. On a Wednesday, you're too tired to cook. So you get Uber Eats. Thursday night, you pour yourself a glass of wine because, oh my God, work was so stressful. And on Friday, you again get some Uber Eats. Maybe you go share a pizza with a friend. It's got some salad there, but hey, you still have pizza. And Saturday, you go to the bakery, you get your favorite croissant. Okay, those sort of things aren't too bad, but when you're coupling that with chocolate every single night, you can see how some people would struggle to lose weight with that. So think about this 80-20 balance. It's really what you're doing over the course of a week that matters for fat loss. So most people eat about five meals and snacks a day, breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner. Say, for example, we do five a day. That's about 35 meals and snacks a week. If you had one soul food a day in a small portion, that's 28 whole foods a week and seven soul foods a week. That's about that 80%. That's that 80% balance is about one small amount of something you know, once a day or once every other day. I personally, if I'm aiming for a fat loss or a body composition goal, I will probably drop it down to two or three times a week in a very small portion. Um, But if I'm, you know, currently at maintenance, I'm not really looking to do anything too much with my body composition, just kind of looking to maintain, eat for health, that sort of thing. I will generally have some sort of soul food every day or every other day. Um, And I think it's a good rule of thumb to not try to double or triple up on your soul foods as well. And what I mean here is try to avoid those like cheat days or cheat weekends because you can really, really run into trouble when if your goal is fat loss because you can easily blow out your calories by a huge amount on the weekend if you're, you know, eating quote unquote, and I hate this word, but clean all week and then come, you know, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, you're just having like, you know, 14 different types of soul foods. Um, It can be really, really easy to actually get results from that using that mentality. So I very much like to include regular small amounts of soul food throughout the weeks versus one big cheat day or one big cheat weekend. That's sort of my spin on this question. Question number two, what are your recommendations around supplements like multivitamins, probiotics, and BCAAs? So BCAAs are branched chain amino acids. Um, Okay. So Uh, my recommendations around supplements overall. So I always like to say with nutrition, more is not better. And I think a lot of people just think that the more we can add in, in terms of nutrition, it's always going to be better. But that is not the case when we think about things like multivitamins. More is not always better. And if we actually look at the research with supplements and multivitamins and different types of vitamins and mineral pills and powders, too much, especially from a synthetic type of vitamin, can actually be harmful. When I used to work at the hospital, I've seen clients who have ended up in the ICU because they've taken huge levels of different types of supplements and that sort of thing. It can actually be harmful. And what is found in a pill or a powder is a synthetic type of vitamin. It is different to the vitamin E you might get out of an almond or different from the um, calcium you might get out of some cheese. So just be aware that the absorption and how the body utilizes multivitamins or vitamins compared to actual real food can also be very different. So my view as a dietitian, as a holistic dietitian, has always been to use supplements as sprinkles. Think about your diet and build a healthy foundation first using real food. Think about that as the cake, right? Your your healthy diet is a healthy foundation and the cake. If you don't get the cake right, it doesn't matter how fancy the icing or the sprinkles is, no one's going to eat it, okay? You've got to build a healthy foundation first and then think of supplements as like almost like the one to five percent of your diet. So it's the things we add in last to give us that extra little bit of a clinical edge. So supplements should 
in my opinion, really be in line with clinical advice. It shouldn't just be things that you're picking off the shelves at a pharmacy and taking. It should really be under the guidance of a clinical practitioner, um, especially things like probiotics, because we know the research shows us it's a certain strain in a certain type and a certain amount for a specific condition that probiotics can be helpful for. You can't just you know, randomly pull some probiotics off the shelf at a chemist and hope that they're going to heal your gut because you may actually be doing more harm than good. Um, so really think about that guys and multivitamins again, more is not better. If you're eating a great balanced diet, save that money that you'd spend on a multivitamin and go, I don't know, go get a massage or something because you don't need a multivitamin if you're eating a healthy balanced diet. If you're somebody who is fussy, if you're somebody who's going through a period where um, for whatever reason you're not eating that well or you have some nausea, you have some gut trouble, so things are going through you more, okay, maybe a multivitamin uh, could be recommended for you. But for most of us who eat a healthy balanced diet, we don't need one. Um, I should probably mention that if you're trying for a baby or you're actively pregnant, of course, there are some supplements that are incredibly important, like folate, for example. But even then, mums don't need to take a multivitamin. But again, if you have something like, you know, really severe morning sickness, you're barely eating anything, it's probably a great idea to take one. But for healthy individuals, more is not better and a multivitamin is not going to give you any extra edge, put it that way. Um, and I feel the same about even things like BCAAs and protein powders. You can absolutely eat enough in your diet, but depending on your, I guess, own personal needs, they may give you a benefit, I guess, if, if they're needed in your diet. But for the majority of people, and I'm talking like 90 to 90% of clients that I see, even 95% of clients I see, they don't take any supplements or multivitamins or vitamins, pills or powders. We're really just using real food for the absolute majority of my clients, unless they may have some specific clinical conditions that may benefit from something. Um, or of course, something like um, anemia or something where of course we're going to supplement with iron tablets. Question three, I'm sleep deprived from my six month old. How much will this affect weight loss? I eat well and I track my calories. Okay, so I'm sure you guys have heard me talking on social media about how incredibly important sleep is because if we're not getting enough sleep, this drives up our hunger hormones and drives down the hormone that's responsible for our satiety. So how full and satisfied we feel after our meals. So if we're not getting enough sleep, we're going to feel hungrier and less satisfied after our meals. Not great for weight loss. So yes, sleep is incredibly important, but if it's outside of your control, don't stress about it. If you've got a baby, of course you're not going to sleep. You and every other mum probably around the world. So do the best that you can. Don't beat yourself up about it. Don't stress about something that you can't control. You know, mums put so much pressure on themselves to be perfect, but all of that extra pressure just causes extra stress, which you don't need. That extra stress can raise your cortisol levels, which is going to make fat loss harder in the long term. So take a deep breath, recognize that you're doing great. Don't beat yourself up for it. And honestly, ask for help. And if somebody offers you help, accept it. And help doesn't have to come in the form of baking you a casserole or doing a load of washing. Help could be someone coming over to watch your bub for an hour so you can catch up on an hour's sleep or something. That is absolutely okay. And asking for help is absolutely okay as well. So as a mom, you are doing an amazing job and you just grew a human. Do not stress about weight loss. Now is not the time to be focusing on weight loss. Just enjoy the time with your baby. You know, they grow up so quickly and you'll look back on that and think, you know what? I'm so obsessed with my calories and tracking and weighing my food and all that sort of thing that I kind of miss those, you know, really, um, you know, six months is the best time for babies. They're so cute from six months old. So enjoy that with your bub and don't stress too much. Your weight will come off over time. Um, it's not something that I know a lot of moms feel so much pressure, particularly with social media these days to have the quote unquote quote, perfect post-baby bod, but 
remember Instagram, social media, it's a lot of just smoke and mirrors. And a lot of these women who had these, you know, rock and bods post baby are kind of genetically blessed. So if you are feeling like you're you know, under a lot of pressure to lose the baby weight. It's something that you're stressing and really, um, I guess, overly obsessed about. I'd recommend going and listening to the podcast that I did with um, Dr. Libby. She's the women's health psychologist. And we had a really great chat around body image and body love and acceptance, um, particularly around our bodies changing after children, and that sort of thing. I think you'd really benefit from that podcast. From memory, I feel like it might be podcast maybe number 77 but um just have a scroll back and search for dr dr libby and um i think you'll really really enjoy that one next question number four tips on how to stick to a strict healthy diet okay first of all Strict and healthy don't go together, not in my book anyway, because strict means that it's not going to be sustainable. And for health, long term, we need it to be sustainable. So stop stop aiming for strict and start aiming for flexible, put it that way. So wherever you are now is your baseline. You guys know me, my mantra is 10% better. So try to change your baseline by just 10, 15, 20%. One small habit at a time. Change things slowly over time. Add one new habit every two to four weeks. Or even one new habit every month, right? One thing to focus on, a small habit every month, eating some more vegetables, drinking some more water, halving the amount of chocolate you're having, um, halving the amount of alcohol that you're having, going for a walk two times a week. Add a new habit in once a month and in 12 months time, that's 12 new healthy habits. That's amazing. You've got to focus on the foods that you enjoy. In order to stick to a healthy lifestyle long-term, focus on the things that you can add in Don't focus on the things that you have to take out or restrict or eliminate from your diet. So we want a great mix of healthy, balanced whole foods, but also a small mix of our soul foods as well. Remember that 20% balance. It can be a small amount um, every single day or a small amount every other day. And that, I promise you, will just keep you on track mentally and make you feel so much better about achieving a healthy lifestyle long term. And I want you guys to remember that a lot of people say to me, look, I really struggle to eat more salads and veggies or I don't really like this food. It actually can take your taste buds on average four to six or even eight weeks to change. So if you don't like something now, push on with it and persevere with it. And I know this sounds bad, but you're an adult. Suck it up. You should be eating vegetables. Even if you don't like them, it'll take your taste buds four to six weeks to change. Push through. And in four to six weeks, those vegetables that you used to hate or couldn't stand, you'll find that they're like neutral to you now. And you're like, you know what? These aren't too bad. And give it another four weeks or another month. And you'll be like, huh, I actually kind of enjoy these now. You've just got to push through that kind of short-term pain, allow those taste buds to change and adapt to the new tastes and flavors. And I think you'll find that you have a much more diverse palate, which is making it a lot easier to stick to your healthy diet. And especially if you're coming from a baseline of eating a whole lot of processed foods, plus minus alcohol, plus minus smoking, those things really impact on your taste buds as well. So give yourself a good one to two months for your taste buds to come back properly and allow you to absorb the taste and flavors of different fruits and veggies and whole grains and herbs and spices and that sort of thing, because there's so much wonderful flavor and nourishing nutrition, but sometimes it does take us a little while or our taste buds a little while to sort of get our head around that as well. And my other tip to sticking to a healthy lifestyle, I'm not going to say a healthy diet because I don't like the term diet. I like the term, you know, eating a healthy lifestyle. Um, Find some of your favorite recipes and make healthier versions of them. Like pizza is one of my favorite foods in the whole world. But when I go out and I eat pizza at a restaurant, if it's just like the base and the sauce and the cheese and a bit of like pepperoni or something, I don't feel well after that. Like I feel bloated, lethargic. I don't feel great. 
I'm not, I'm not living my best life, even though it tastes great. So I like to make my own pizza with a much thinner base, a ton more vegetables and about half the amount of cheese. I just feel so much better that way. I still get to have my pizza. It still tastes incredible, but I actually feel better digestion and health wise after that. So we have pizza nearly every Sunday night in my household. Um, and I love to choose like healthy or make healthy versions of my favorite foods, like lasagnas, pastas, pizzas, tacos, that sort of thing. You can always make your favorite recipe into a slightly healthier version. Or if you don't want to change the recipe at all, just have a smaller portion and add um, a huge side salad or some vegetables to the side of the plate um, as well. So they're my, I guess, my biggest tips on um, sticking to a healthy lifestyle long term. Um, It really is about aiming for that small progress instead of the perfection, focusing on things that you can add into your diet rather than things you have to cut out. Um, Find a beautiful balance between whole foods and soul foods, but make sure that balance is around that 80-20. And that's where you'll find you're going to thrive in terms of energy, gut health, um, digestion, that sort of thing. And also understanding that it can take anywhere from four to eight weeks for our taste buds to change and adapt to new tastes. So if you don't like something once, please don't give up on it, push through and um, just continue to try it and try it in a different recipe, cooked a different way, add it into a different thing. And I promise you over time, you may learn to maybe not love, but at least um, tolerate, you know, some more vegetables in your diet. Question number five, how do I stop binging? Is there any other advice other than not restricting because that's not working? Okay, so I think first I need to understand whether this is true uh, binge eating disorder or whether this is just like, I guess, conscious overeating. So you're eating a ton of food, but you're conscious and you're aware that you're doing that, but you're kind of just like, oh, whatever, I'm going to I'm gonna eat it anyway. You'll need to go to see a psychologist to get a proper diagnosis of binge eating disorder. You can have a quick Google online. There's a set amount of criteria that you'll need to, to meet to, to meet the diagnosis of binge eating disorder. Um, there's absolutely no shame in this diagnosis, but actually having um, a diagnosis allows you to um, seek the appropriate help that you may need. So if you're in Australia, Um, and you do have some sort of eating disorder or disordered eating, binge eating disorder, you can actually access, most people I'm pretty sure can access free appointments with a psychologist under a mental health plan. So go and see your doctor um, and speak with them and see if you qualify for that. I'm sorry, I can't say in terms of other parts of the world, but there is so much power in speaking to a professional such as a psychologist or a dietitian. If you find that you have struggles with food or if you're not able to, um, stop yourself from eating large amounts of food or you, you find that once you finish eating, you actually feel physically unwell or a lot of people with diagnosed binge eating disorder will have blackout moments where they'll eat half their pantry, not remember a thing in the morning, come out to the kitchen and there'll be all of these empty packets of food everywhere, but they actually have no recollection or memory of actually doing that either. So if you're someone that uh, that is happening to, please, uh, I encourage you to seek the help of a professional, um, definitely a psychologist or a dietitian. I guess the term binging is used in the media and in social media just to almost like signify overeating. So I think it's really important that we we recognize that binge eating is a um, it's a clinical uh, disorder, but the, just something like conscious like overeating or emotional eating, which I'm going to assume maybe that this question is more about. Um, really, it comes back to mindfulness and being present in the moment and building nourishing meals throughout the day as well. So making sure you're eating enough carbohydrates throughout the day, for example, enough protein with your meals, enough fiber with your meals. I've actually got a wonderful podcast um, on my podcast here, episode two, which is a non-hungry eating. So if you find that... Um, 
you know, you think that it's not binge eating, it's more just that conscious overeating or that emotional eating, go and check out my episode two on non-hungry eating, where I really break down what I call head hunger, where you're eating because you're bored, stressed, emotional, lonely, sad, um, and you're eating, you know, large portions of food, but you're sort of consciously aware of that, but you're almost like self-sabotaging yourself or you're eating because you are emotional. So I think a really big, uh, cue or a really big thing that helps uh, the emotional eating is to practice mindfulness. So to physically, um, you know, measure out a portion, don't just eat straight from the bag or the packet, measure out a portion, go and sit down somewhere, remove all distractions. Don't be scrolling through Facebook or have the TV on in front of you. Pay full attention to your food, chew it slowly, notice the, the taste, the flavors, the texture, and actually eat that food slowly. It can take up to 20 minutes for your brain to recognize that your stomach's had enough. Now, I'm not saying if you've got, you know, 10 M&Ms in front of you that you have to take 20 minutes to eat that. But if you find that you're always hungry after meals or you find that you've eaten your dinner and then you're like raiding the pantry for more food, it's likely that you didn't take enough time to enjoy that meal. Your brain hasn't quite uh, had enough time to recognize that you've had enough food. It takes about 20 minutes for our body to release those hormones that are associated with that satiating effect after after a meal. So the fact that you feel full and satisfied after a meal. So if you've, you know, almost like inhaled your dinner and you're like raiding the fridge for something sweet, this is probably because A, you didn't eat slowly enough and B, you didn't pay enough attention to your food. You didn't eat mindfully enough. Were you um, checking emails on your phone? Was Netflix on the TV? Were you yelling at your two-year-old while you were trying to, you know, inhale your dinner because it's the first moment that you've had to eat, you know, in most of the day. So really trying to pay as much attention as you can to your food, eat it slowly, put your cutlery down between bites and really allow yourself at least 20 minutes, if not 30, before you move on and have, um, have something else like another snack or go back for seconds or something like that. So, and then my other, I guess, really um, small uh, bit of advice around emotional eating is to always say to yourself, all right, I'm allowed to eat this food, but I recognize right now that I am bored, stressed, emotional, lonely, sad, whatever emotion it is, I can recognize that I'm not truly physically hungry right now. I'm just looking for something to comfort my emotions. So I'm going to allow myself to eat this food, but I'm going to go work on my emotions for 30 minutes first and then afterwards I can come back and I can enjoy this food. This is so powerful because the majority of the time you'll come back and you won't want that food because you're like, "Mm, the craving's gone, like the moment's passed. Um, Because one of my favorite quotes in the whole world, and I've said this before on the podcast, is no amount of food will ever satisfy you if you're not truly hungry to begin with. So a lot of times people move from one food to another food to another food to another food, from something salty to something crunchy to something sweet to something, um, back to something crunchy or something, because what they're doing is they're eating for an emotional uh, reason. They're not eating for true physical hunger. So nothing is really satisfying that urge because they were never really truly hungry to begin with. So always say to yourself, I'm allowed to eat this food, but I've got to go and spend 30 minutes working on my emotions first. And that just reduces the intensity of those cravings for the emotional eating and allows you to, um, you know, better rationalize your decisions. So when you come back and your cravings have dropped down in intensity later on, it's likely that you'll eat far less of that food than you had before if your your cravings are at the height of the cravings. So they're my uh, they're my tips around things like emotional eating. As I said, if it is um, true binge eating disorder, please go and seek some professional help or guidance from a psychologist or a dietitian. But if it's more just that emotional eating, go and check out episode two on my podcast um, around non-hungry eating. I think you guys will really enjoy it. We are up to question number six, second last one, guys. How accurate are Fitbit slash Apple Watches for counting calories? 
Yeah, I get asked this one a lot. So as a baseline, like as a baseline, they can be okay, but nothing in nutrition is 100% accurate. You can't look at your watch and be like, I burn 1,374 calories today. It's simply not that accurate. And I'll tell you a funny story because in university, they used to give us like different case studies at exam time on clients and we'd have to predict their, you know, their certain calories or their nutritional requirements. If we were so specific that we calculated clients' calories down to the kilojoule or down to the calorie, like this client needs 1,834 calories, we'd actually get marked down for that because we cannot be that exact with nutrition science. We simply cannot be. Everything is a rough guide or a rough estimate. We just need to, you know, set a set point, monitor and adjust from there. So as a baseline, they can be okay. I like my clients to use their Fitbits and Apple watches to monitor their steps and monitor their sleep. That's it. I never get them to do that, uh, use the calorie counting function on their phone or to look at their their workout and see, you know, how many calories that I burn in the workout. Because for a lot of people, it creates this uh, poor relationship with food where they look at their watch and they're like, oh, I burnt 400 calories in the gym. I'm going to go eat 400 calories of chocolate. So I don't like them in that respect because I don't feel like that's a healthy behavior to have long term. And uh, our fitness watches tend to massively overestimate our calories burned and why a lot of people have trouble with fat loss. And there is research to support that is that we think we burn more calories than we do and we think we eat less food than we do. So most people will always overestimate the amount of calories burned and underestimate the calories consumed. So if you're using your watch to count calories, I'm not a fan of counting calories, but I'm not your mom. I'm not going to tell you not to do it. If you choose to count calories with something like a fitness watch, just use this as a baseline starting point. Use that number, set your, your you know, your maintenance calories, put yourself in a deficit, and you've got to be strict with that for four weeks. It can take four weeks for true fat loss to reflect on the scale. Don't give yourself three days and look for like a kilo drop on the scale. That's not really going to be helpful. Be strict about it for four weeks and reassess. If the scales are moving in the right direction, it's good, right? And continue on with it. If they're not moving, you're not in a calorie deficit. So you're probably either eating too much or you're moving too little or your watch is overestimating the amount of calories burned. So adjust from there, pull down the calories that you're consuming basically, or increase the amount of exercise that you're doing. So just use these watches as a baseline. I wouldn't say that they're accurate, but there's not a lot in you know nutrition science that is 100% accurate. They can be a good baseline measure for the one individual, but I would never measure your calories burned and, and compare that to a friend or anything like that because we really want to be using these devices as a baseline measure just for ourselves over time put it that way but how we're going to know if they're um you know we're tracking well with them or not is really about consistency if we just plug in our calories for a couple of days we're really not going to know if it's accurate and we really need to give ourselves at a minimum of two weeks if not four weeks for that true fat loss to be reflected on the scale Lucky last question in part one of the Q&A podcast. This is question seven. Can you tell me overtraining symptoms, how to avoid it and what to do if you overtrain plus nutrition? All right, overtraining. I actually really like this question because I see a lot of clients who start with me who are overtraining. And when they learn that most weeks I do between three to five sessions, two on a bad week, five on a good week. And they're like, that's all you do. That is all I do. You don't need to overtrain to get results. Nutrition really is king. Exercise is queen. Together they make a kingdom, but nutrition is king. So I personally think that five sessions a week is more than enough for anybody. Obviously this 
probably doesn't apply to you if you're a professional athlete because that's your job and you might train every day. I'm not going to tell you not to, but for the standard person, such as you and I, uh, if you're not a professional athlete listening, five sessions a week is, is okay for the majority of us. And I don't really count walking in those sessions. So I'll tend to do four or five gym sessions plus one or two walks for the week, but I don't technically count, you know, walking as a, a huge stress to my body, put it that way. So if you are doing more than this, I mean, a lot of people who are doing these like, you know, high intensity gym challenges morning and night, like they're doing Monday morning, night, Tuesday morning, night. I just think that is far too much and causing far too much stress on your body. So if you're training more than about five sessions a week, ask yourself, is this healthy or is this maintainable? Because what we do with nutrition and exercise, we have to be able to maintain. If we do this and go gung-ho and nearly break ourselves to reach our goal, and then we finally reach the goal, we collapse in a heat and we stop doing it because we can't maintain it, we're going to put all the weight back on again. So what's the point? So what you do has to be A, healthy and B, maintainable long-term. So overtraining can look like this. Overtraining can look like constant fatigue, even after you've had a good night's sleep, lots of injuries, frequently getting sick, always getting a cold and flu, picking up any bug that comes around. Overtraining looks like not making any progress. Despite training all the time, you're not actually making any progress. You may have trouble sleeping. You might be lightheaded or lethargic. You just have that heavy muscle feeling all the time. Like your muscles are always feeling heavy and tired. You have poor recovery between sessions. You know, it takes you like, you know, five, six, seven days to actually recover from a session. You know, you might not feel good till on Saturday if you trained on Monday. That's too long in between. Um, weight gain can be a sign of overtraining. Loss of motivation, like you actually start to resent or regret having to train. I mean, just simple things like irritability and agitation can be signs of overtraining as well. So if you do find that uh, you are overtraining or you have a feeling you may be, it takes most people anywhere from four to six weeks to recover from the effects of overtraining that it has on the body. It can take some people a few months, but generally most people recover sort of within a month or a month and a half. Um, but it d- will take you longer if you're undercutting your nutrition. So if you're uh, overtraining and you're underdoing your nutrition, you can do you know double the damage, put it that way. So the best thing you can do if you find that you are overtraining is to give yourself complete rest, like take two to four full weeks off training, exercise, gym, whatever it is. Of course, light walking is okay. Totally fine. Um, All light exercise, like a bit of stretching, yoga, that sort of thing is totally okay. But I wouldn't be hitting the gym or going for any runs or trying to hit any PBs or going to your high intensity fitness classes or anything like that. You need complete rest for a good solid uh, two to four weeks at a minimum. Um, And you need to ensure you are eating enough, at least at a bare minimum to your maintenance levels, if not in a slight calorie surplus. You should never, ever be dieting or in a calorie deficit while you're trying to recover from overtraining. You're just not going to do yourself any favors. Um, So that, I guess, I hope that helps you understand a little bit more about overtraining. It's a real thing. Um, And a lot of people find themselves constantly sick and constantly injured from overtraining and don't really put two and two together. So if you're sitting at home thinking, man, I catch every bug that goes around or I, you know, I've had multiple injuries over the last couple of months or last couple of years, perhaps take a good hard look at yourself and see how often do I train? And I do get a lot of people who say, you know, I just love training. I love exercising. So I exercise every single day, sometimes twice a day. Okay, that's cool. But take a good hard look at yourself and actually ask yourself, is this healthy? Is this the best thing for my body? Because 
And if it's not, you probably need another outlet or something else that you can enjoy, another hobby that is not physically exhausting your body and running it into the ground, um, you know, day after day, week after week. So just really get honest with yourself. And if you're having a hard time doing that, ask a trusted friend or family member. Um, Tell them how much you train, tell them how much you eat. And if they have a concern about you, that concern is coming from a place of love. And I think it's probably very wise that you uh, seek a little bit of professional help or guidance around this because I work with a lot of clients who can't see that they overtrain until I gently and lovingly point it out to them and almost ask them to halve the amount of training that they do. And I promise them that I'll get new results just from a nutrition perspective. And we always do. And, you know, they can spend that extra hour or two that they're not at the gym, actually focusing on just some self-care measures, um, a little bit of like meditation, yoga, goal setting, a little bit of meal prep, that sort of thing. Um, so it is really important to look at your life overall because exercise and training is not everything when it comes to health and nutrition and fat loss. Um, You can absolutely overdo it. As I always say, more is not necessarily better. Alrighty guys, that brings us to the conclusion of part one Q&A with myself. I hope that you enjoyed this. Um, if you did, please leave me a comment in Apple iTunes and let me know uh, and ask me yeah, ask me a question there and I'll see if I can do another couple of episodes and, and feature your question on that as well. Or you can also DM me your question through Instagram. And just quickly, I wanted to let you guys know that I have launched my brand new YouTube channel. My first video is on easy fat loss tips and my second video is around TikTok food trends and how to make it healthy. So go and check that out. I have a ton more content coming for you guys. I'm going to be doing product reviews. I'm going to be doing vlogs. I'm going to be doing what I eat in a day, meal prep, healthy recipes, answering your questions, and of course, providing some epic nutrition and health content. So YouTube is going to be where I'll be hanging out over the next couple of months. I will still, of course, be doing podcasts for you guys as well, but I'm going to take a step back from them or not be producing them as regularly. So go and check me out on YouTube. Um, It's Leanne Moore Nutrition. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification button so you get notified when I post new videos. And um, yeah, just send me a DM and let me know what sort of content that you'd like to see on my YouTube channel. 